All right, well, this Advent season, we have been using the tradition of the Jesse tree to have the scripture story point us to Jesus. And as we add ornaments to the Jesse tree, we're seeing aspects of the story of the Bible that help us to understand who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish. In other words, what we're celebrating at Christmas. So far, we've seen the first 10 ornaments, each of which point us to Jesus in some way. So the tree stump reminds us of the importance of seeing Jesus' family tree and all that it tells us about who he is and what he came to do. The world ornament reminds us of creation and of mankind's creation in the image of God. Jesus is the one who truly shows us what the image of God really is. The apple ornament reminds us of mankind's fall into sin and the need for a savior who would rescue us from our sin. The rainbow ornament reminds us of God's mercy in the promise that he gave to Noah and of God's mercy then that is shown to us in Christ. The tent ornament reminds us of God's promise to Abraham, of the promised land, which is really a promise that's given to Jesus that he would inherit the whole world. And last week, the star reminded us of God's promise of descendants to Abraham. Those who have faith in Jesus are the true descendants of Abraham, a great multitude, as great as the stars in the heavens, a great multitude that no one can number. The latter reminds us of Jacob's dream. Jesus is the connecting point between heaven and earth, the one who brings heaven to earth. The coat reminds us of the story of Joseph, how God uses the wickedness of men for good. And the most wicked act of men, the crucifixion of Jesus, is what God used for the great good of our salvation. The Ten Commandments reveal the perfect law of God, a law which we could not keep. But Jesus perfectly fulfills and establishes God's law. And the grapes remind us of the blessing that God promises to his people by faith. And all those who have faith in Jesus experience the blessings of God that are given to us in Christ. And this morning, we'll add the next five ornaments and learn how they help us along in understanding the story of Jesus at Christmas. So our first ornament today is the wall. And the wall reminds us of the great walls around the city of Jericho. God had promised his people the land of Canaan for them to own and live in, but first they would have to defeat God's enemies who were living there. Because the generation that God had rescued out of Egypt didn't have faith, they didn't believe that they could defeat the people of Canaan in God's strength, they refused to go in, and that generation then would die in the wilderness, and their children would be the ones who would be able to enter the land. And when the time came for that younger generation to go into the land, they sent in spies who checked out the city of Jericho. While they were there, a woman named Rahab protected them and hid them. She lay them down on the roof and covered them with flax. Rahab believed what she had heard about the God of the Israelites. So when the king of the city sent men to capture the spies, Rahab convinced them that the spies had already left. And here's the story as we read it in Joshua 2, verses 8 through 14. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, 
I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Well, God told the Israelites to march around the city of Jericho one time for each of seven days, and then on the seventh day they marched around seven times. And when they obeyed him, God gave the city into their hands. The walls just fell down, and the Israelites won the battle easily. They destroyed everything in the city just as God had said. Now, of course, if you know the story, then you know that there was a man named Achan who disobeyed and suffered the consequences of that, but we'll save that part of the story for another time. Then we read this in Joshua chapter 6, verses 24 and 25. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So Rahab was protected because she believed in Israel's God and protected the spies. And the result was that she has lived in Israel to this day. She became part of God's people by faith. In fact, when we get to the New Testament, the author of the book of Hebrews presents Rahab as an example for us. Hebrews 11 is the chapter that's sometimes called the Hall of Faith because it recounts the stories of many of these Old Testament believers who demonstrated faith. And in Hebrews 11, verse 31, we read this. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So Rahab believed God, and her faith brought her into the family of God. Even though she wasn't an Israelite by birth, she became a descendant of Abraham by faith. And that leads us to how the story of Rahab connects to Jesus. In Matthew's gospel, just before he begins the Christmas story, Matthew gives us the family tree of Jesus. And in that family tree, we read this. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And it goes on down from there until in verse 5 we read, And Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. Not only was Rahab 
accepted into the family of Abraham, the Israelites, the people of God, Rahab became part of the family tree of Jesus. And Matthew's being really intentional because you don't usually include women in the family tree as it's recounted, but he intentionally includes Rahab to let us know that Jesus is descended from her. And that reminds us that being part of Jesus' family doesn't happen by birth, but by faith. This Messiah King, Jesus, who would be born at Christmas, would be the king of all his people, from every tribe and nation, all those who have faith in him. So who would like to come up and hang the wall ornament on the tree for us this morning? Any volunteers to do that? Scotty, come on up. Just hang it somewhere on the front there where everybody can see. Thank you. All right. The next ornament on our Jesse tree is the wheat or barley. And this reminds us of the story of Ruth. Like Rahab, Ruth was not an Israelite. She was a Moabitess. Ruth married into an Israelite family, and when that family moved from Bethlehem to Moab to avoid famine, she had married into the family. After Ruth's husband and her brother-in-law and her father-in-law all died, Ruth joined with her mother-in-law, Naomi, as they moved back to Bethlehem. With all the men of the family dead, the two ladies didn't have much. Ruth provided for them by gleaning in the fields around Bethlehem. Gleaning is when you gather the wheat or barley or whatever crop from the edges and corners of the field, the parts that are left there by the farmers, and they do that on purpose to provide for people. And so Ruth gleaned in the fields of a relative of Naomi's named Boaz. Now Naomi still owned a piece of land near Bethlehem, and she decided to sell it. But because of the laws that God had put in place to protect women in Israel, whoever bought the land would also inherit Ruth and would have the responsibility of perpetuating the family line of Naomi and her husband through Ruth. Well, Boaz wanted to marry Ruth and he was able to buy the land and to marry her. And the term for someone who did this was a kinsman redeemer. Kinsman because he was a relative. Redeemer because he was buying something back which had become available for purchase in order to keep it in the family. When I use the word redeemer, chances are you're familiar with that being a title for Jesus. Jesus is our redeemer. He purchases us in order to keep us in the family. We had been part of God's family, but because we sinned, that relationship was severed. Jesus purchased us with his own blood in order to make us again part of the family of God. We also use that word to describe what God did in rescuing the Israelites out of Egypt. They had come under the ownership of Pharaoh, had them as slaves, and God redeemed them or purchased them out of Egypt. And the shed blood of the Passover lambs pointed forward to the ultimate purchase price, the blood of the lamb, Jesus. So the story of Ruth points us to Jesus, the Redeemer. But there's another way that this story connects to the Christmas story as well. 
And I'd like to read the ending of the book of Ruth for you. So this is Ruth chapter 4, starting in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went in to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nation, Nation fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. So just like Rahab, Ruth became an Israelite by faith. She married into the family. And just look with me at those last two verses. In verse 21, we read that Salmon fathered Boaz. Now, we saw Salmon when we looked at the story of Rahab, because Salmon married Rahab. When the text says that Salmon fathered Boaz, it literally says Salmon was the father of Boaz. And the word father can mean father, grandfather, great-grandfather, really any ancestor. And the point of the word just has to do with that ancestry. Salmon wasn't actually Boaz's father because Boaz lived about 300 years after Salmon. But the point is that the line of ancestry, the family tree, comes directly down from Salmon. And that means that Boaz is also a descendant of Rahab. Matthew makes that point really clear in his family tree of Jesus. Matthew 1.5 Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. There, Matthew's doing it again. He's including these women in the family line, these women who weren't even Israelites, but became Israelites by faith. There's quite a few generations skipped in there, but that's normal for Hebrew genealogies. It's not inaccurate. It's just different from how we might do it today. As you look at those last two verses of Ruth, There's one more thing to notice. Look where the family tree goes. Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David, King David, Israel's greatest king until Jesus. So these two women, Rahab and Ruth, women who were not Israelites by birth, but belonged by faith, these two women are part of the family tree of King David, and ultimately of Jesus. The story of Ruth points us to Jesus as our Redeemer, and it reminds us of how God brings outsiders into his family by faith, by redeeming them, purchasing them with his own precious blood. So who'd be willing to come up and put this ornament on the Jesse tree for us? Come on up. Cora, are you going to put this on for us? With dad's help. (laughs) There you go.
Thank you. All right, well, the next ornament for our Jesse tree this morning is the slingshot. And the slingshot reminds us of David. David was a shepherd. So he had the job of protecting his father's sheep. He protected them from wild animals and he used his slingshot to do that. When Israel went to war with the Philistines, David's older brothers went out with the army. The Israelite army and the Philistine army camped out on either side of a great big valley. And the Philistines sent out their champion, their representative, Goliath, to challenge the Israelites in single combat. Goliath wanted Israel to send out one warrior to fight him. And the rest of the armies would stay in place up on the hillside. And just the representatives would fight the champions. And if Goliath won, then the Philistines would win. But if the Israelite won, then the Israelites would win. Well, the Israelite army was scared. And no one was willing to go fight Goliath. Goliath was a giant. He was nine and a half feet tall. Even the king of Israel, King Saul, who was a head taller than anyone else in Israel, was too afraid to fight Goliath. When David came to visit his brothers and to bring them some supplies, he saw what was going on and David said, how come no one will fight him? If we have God on our side, then we can win. So David volunteered to go fight Goliath himself. So David went out to meet Goliath with his slingshot and a pocket full of stones. And Goliath laughed at him and mocked the Israelites and their God. And here's what we read in 1 Samuel 17 verses 45 to 47. Then David said to the Philistine, to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. So David loaded a stone into his slingshot and fired it right at Goliath's head. And it hit Goliath right between the eyes, and Goliath fell dead. Then David grabbed Goliath's giant sword and cut off Goliath's head. Well, the story of David and Goliath points us to Jesus in a, in a whole bunch of different ways. Let me just give you three of them this morning. First, Goliath is described in the story in language that reminds us of a snake or a serpent. For instance, he's wearing scale armor like a snake. David kills Goliath with a head wound, crushing his skull, and then he cuts off his head. All of that reminds us of the curse that God put on the serpent in the Garden of Eden. God said that a descendant of the woman would crush Satan's head and defeat him. David, the king, crushing Goliath's head is a shadow of Jesus the king crushing the head of the serpent, Satan. A second way that this story points us forward to Jesus is that at, at this point in the story, David has been anointed as king, but he's not yet been crowned as king. 
Still, he steps forward as the representative of his people, and he fights their battle for them. In the same way, when Jesus went to the cross, he had been anointed by the Holy Spirit in his baptism, but he hadn't yet been crowned as king. That came after his resurrection and his ascension, exaltation in heaven. And Jesus acted as the representative of his people, fighting their battle for them. When Jesus defeated Satan and sin and death, we, his people, receive the victory that he won for us. And third, we're once again pointed to Jesus' family tree. If we keep reading where we already were in Matthew's account of Jesus' family tree, we read this, Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. So the slingshot reminds us of David, the serpent-crushing representative of God's people, who is the king in the line of Jesus. So who would put the slingshot ornament on the Jesse tree for us this morning? Who's willing to come up and help us out with that? Come on up. All right, thank you. Well, the next ornament for our Jesse tree this morning is the sheep. And this ornament also reminds us of King David. As we already noted, David was a shepherd who became a king. When he fought Goliath, he hadn't been crowned king yet. We read about David becoming king in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And here's what the first three verses say. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. So in these verses... The tribes of Israel note what the Lord said to David. David would be the shepherd of God's people, Israel, and he would be prince over them. He would be a shepherd king. So how does this point us to Jesus and the story of Christmas? Well, there's two ways that I want you to see. First, when this king, Jesus, was born, who did the angels make the announcement to? To the shepherds. Shepherds were not particularly respected or well thought of in Israel, but the angel's announcement doesn't come to the palace or the temple, not to the royalty or the religious leaders, but to the shepherds. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. This was an appropriate choice, for the simple reason that Jesus would be the lamb. He was the lamb of God. He would be placed in a manger, a feeding trough for animals, and he would grow up to be, as his cousin John the Baptist announced, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He would be the one final perfect sacrifice for sin. So it was appropriate that this announcement came to shepherds like David. 
And second, Jesus himself would not just be the lamb of God, but also the good shepherd. In John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus would lay down his life for his people, just like a shepherd protects his sheep. So the sheep ornament reminds us of David, the shepherd king, and it points us to Jesus. Jesus is the lamb of God and the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Who would help us out and put the sheep ornament on our Jesse tree this morning? Who's willing to come up and do that? Anybody? All right, Sybil, I'm going to pick on you. Come on up. Thank you. All right, and the last ornament this morning for our Jesse tree is the altar. And this altar with the fire on it reminds us of the story of the prophet Elijah on Mount Carmel. In Elijah's days in Israel, there was a wicked king named Ahab who had married a foreign queen named Jezebel. Ahab and Jezebel led the people to worship the false gods of Baal and Asherah. And Elijah, God's prophet, confronted Ahab and said that Ahab had brought trouble on Israel because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. While Elijah challenged Ahab to a battle of the gods, Ahab would send the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah up on Mount Carmel, and Elijah would come as well. They would set up two altars with sacrifices, one for the Lord and one for Baal. The prophets would call on their gods to send fire down from heaven to consume the sacrifice on the altar. And whichever god responded with fire would be shown to be the true god that the people should serve. Well, the prophets of Baal went first. They called out to their God, but there was no response. So they called out louder, and they danced, and they cut themselves. And for hours and hours, they begged Baal to respond, but he never did. And so Elijah mocked them. Maybe he or God's on vacation. Maybe your God's stuck in the bathroom. But no response from Baal. Then it was Elijah's turn, and Elijah had them bring four large jars of water and carry them up the mountain and pour them over the altar on the sacrifice, or on, and the sacrifice. And they did that three times. So the sacrifice that's sitting on the altar was completely soaked. The altar itself was completely soaked, and he dug a, a moat around the altar, and that was completely filled up with water. No man could have set fire to this soaking wet sacrifice. And here's what 1 Kings chapter 18 tells us happened. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood 
and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. So everyone could see that the Lord was the only true God. The other gods were nothing. And how does this story point us to Jesus? Well, there's a number of ways that the story points us to Jesus, but I want to just mention one this morning. The story of Elijah at Mount Carmel shows us that there is only one true God. We aren't free to just worship as we please or whoever we please. We don't get to just make up our own way. And when Jesus came to earth, he was showing us the one way to God. The one and only way to the one and only God. It's what Jesus called the narrow gate. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Just like Elijah stood against the political leaders and the religious leaders in his day, so Jesus would stand against them as well, proclaiming the truth about the Lord. He is God. And Jesus is the one way to the one true God. Who would be willing to put this altar picture, this ornament on our Jesse tree this morning? Come on up. Great, thank you. All right, so what have we seen this week as we've continued working our way through the Jesse tree? Well, the wall ornament reminds us of Jericho and the story of Rahab. And in Rahab, we see once again that it's by faith that one becomes part of the family of God. And Rahab would be in the line of Christ. The wheat ornament or barley ornament reminds us of the story of Ruth, another foreigner who became part of the family of God by faith. And Boaz, redeeming Ruth, points us to Jesus, our Redeemer. Ruth, like Rahab, is in the family tree of Jesus. The slingshot ornament reminds us of David and Goliath. David was the serpent-crushing representative of God's people, who's a king in the line of Jesus. The sheep ornament reminds us that David is also the shepherd king. Jesus, too, would be our shepherd king, Announced to the shepherds because he's the Lamb of God, and he's also the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And the altar ornament reminds us of the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. Jesus is the one and only way to the one and only God. In all these ways, we see once again just how God was writing this story all through the pages of the Old Testament to lead us to Christ. And it's good for us to go back and see those stories because each one of them in their own way shines light on who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you this morning for your word again, for this story uh, of the Jesse tree as we kind of trace these different Old Testament stories that point us to Christ and help us to see once again who he is and what he came to do. May we, your people, be people who are constantly seeing who you are and praising you for it. Even now, as we sing together, I pray that we would sing as you've told us in your scripture, 
hundreds of times that your people are a singing people, that we're to respond to what you've done in song. I pray that we would do that in spirit and in truth and that our praises would be pleasing to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.